Good morning and welcome to the Reliably Well podcast, a podcast for medical professionals looking for insight into ways to be more effective for their patients and communities by making sure they are caring for themselves first and thriving in their lives. Welcome to the Reliably Well podcast. Today we're going to be talking about innovation within healthcare. How does it work and how do we respond to it? We're going to talk about some telehealth. Uh, I'm excited about today's episode. We have Dr. Sumner Abraham, who's been on the show before. And, and for the first time, we have Blake Jeter, who is our chief operating officer here at Relias Healthcare. And we're going to talk about innovation within healthcare. And uh, Blake Jeter understands the concept of disruptive innovation, um, which has been re- talked about and written about specifically in the book, The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. And Blake's going to help kind of flush that concept out. Um, but to begin the podcast, I want to aim a question at Dr. Abraham. Why should clinicians be concerned with change? Yeah, I think that we've all lived it uh, for the last uh, almost, I mean, yeah, it's just about been 24 months at the time that we're recording this um, since the pandemic happened. And I think that, uh, and I wrote about this in our annual report that I think that COVID, a lot of people have said that COVID has taken away things and it's, um, you know, done these things. What I think COVID's done more than anything is it's revealed stuff that was already there. And I think it's been these silent fractures within the healthcare system, in particular, how healthcare is delivered um, to patients, that it's revealed that those are broken ways of doing things. Or maybe they're not, maybe they break under the pressure of the pandemic, but they're certainly not efficient um, and they're not equitable. And I think that this is a valuable discussion because I don't think that we're going back to normal. Uh, I kind of, I get a little bit frustrated to be candid when I hear people say, I'm just ready to go back to normal. There, there, there is no such thing as the way things used to be. I think that life for better or for worse, as we know, it has fundamentally changed, um, kind of a pre and post pandemic life. It's while it's sad to think about, I think it's important to embrace, especially with the problems that we're facing right now in healthcare. We are not getting back to normal, so let's start putting our focus elsewhere. Blake, talk a little bit about change within the healthcare industry. Why is it relevant for us to talk about change as it relates to, I guess, the healthcare industry? Well, thanks for having me on the podcast for the first time. It's glad to be here with uh, veteran Dr. Uh, Abraham. It's really exciting to talk about innovation. I really like what Dr. Abraham said, I read a study early uh, in the pandemic where they talked not about the new normal, but the next normal. And this idea that there's always, you have to leave the past behind and there's never going to be getting back to normal. You're just going to be getting to the next normal. And I think that's what we're doing. We're, We're calibrating to that. And there's wide change is happening in the healthcare uh, ecosystem. And it's not all that dissimilar from what's happening in almost all sectors of our economy. And so what I really love is to broaden out our perspective and see how markets are changing, people's expectations are changing. If you look just before the pandemic, only a few percentage points of people were having telehealth visits um, as part of their care hours. And Two months into the pandemic, almost 40% of the primary care visits that were happening were telehealth. Now it's 
retracted back to in the um, in the teens percentage wise. But we've seen change happen very quickly and it's going to continue to change. Uh, other markets, we see this happening all the time. Uh, the Just a few years ago, the largest car company in the world didn't own any cars. The largest hotel company, Airbnb, didn't own any hotels. Um, the largest news publisher in the world, Facebook, didn't own any newspapers. So the economy is changing, and it's tech-driven, consumer-based innovation that's doing that. I think we're going to continue to see that in the healthcare market. That really is fascinating to see what Airbnb, Uber, Facebook, what they've done to their industries. And let's start talking now about Clayton Christensen's theory of disruptive innovation. Um, Just maybe explain his theory, Blake. Yeah, I want to take a step back. And the, the book, The Innovator's Dilemma, is one of the few books that Steve Jobs commended. It's one of the few books that Andy Grove from Intel commended. <clears throat> and it has been a, a leading book that has hallowed the halls of Harvard and other places since 1997 because of an enduring legacy that this book and this theory has had on industries. The Innovator's Dilemma is the dilemma that comes from very established companies that don't catch the next wave of innovation, not because they're poorly run companies or they are focused on the um, poorly managed aspects of their business, but it's precisely because they're a well-run company that they fail. And so Christensen takes this book to unfold why companies fail to catch the next wave of innovation. And he comes up with some very provocative theories that we can apply. And one of the ways he does that is he pits innovation into two categories. One is sustaining innovation and one is disruptive innovation. Now, sustaining innovation is what you would typically find in a company that's iterating progressively on their products. It's uh, when the iPhone was introduced, it was a disruptive innovation. But as they've changed models and added facial recognition and new apps, it's just continued to be a sustaining innovation. And in healthcare and any other industries, things that are improving on your existing widget, that's a sustaining innovation. But something that creates a completely new market or changes fundamentally how you might view a product, that's a uh, disrupting innovation. And so this book really tries to capture theories to help us understand what is disruptive innovation and how can you harness it? How can you protect your business, your practice from, in some ways from it? And uh, it comes to some really interesting conclusions. That's a fascinating conclusion that you can be a good company, base your decision on good management principles, but still fail. And that is because good companies are responding to their consumers and their consumers are not anticipating the next wave of change. Uh, Dr. Abraham, how has healthcare specifically been disrupted? I think the biggest thing that, I mean, it's several ways. The thing that comes to my mind immediately is that the hospital is no longer the place that people are exclusively receiving care. There's hospital at home, there's uh, telemedicine where you can be sitting at home and see your clinician legitimately wherever you want to. You could be across the globe and see your clinician at the drop of a hat in theory. 
you look at things like BetterHelp and all these online therapy platforms that are, you know, have, you know, tens of millions of visits um, that didn't really exist. Um, kind of like once, like once the pandemic started, I don't know when BetterHelp started, but I think it was probably about the same time that it really took off. My point being is that you're seeing even uh, companies that are traditionally not associated with healthcare, Amazon is starting to get into healthcare because they've realized that you don't actually have to be the hospital to deliver the care, which is a really fascinating thing that I don't know that every hospital, especially those in rural America, is really going to ever catch up to. I think that they're probably in that same dilemma of how do I keep up with all of these new tech companies that are starting to get into healthcare delivery. Yeah, uh, Dr. Abraham, if Sam, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask Dr. Abraham a question. This is really the first time we're changing what the hospital is. And um, I want to I want to hear, we've heard from several people in the industry later that recently that they want to shrink their hospital in some ways. Uh, for years and years and years, it was about consolidation. How can we bring this surgery center? How can we bring this provider group under our umbrella and grow? But now we're hearing things such as health and home, urgent care, virtual care, and we're somewhat shrinking the footprint of the hospital. Um, what's that paradigm been like? Yeah, I would say that the that the question that I'm that I think about all the time is how can I get to the patient instead of how can the patient get to me? And I think that companies that are really going to win this race, I don't know that it's a race, but win this kind of innovators um uh, you know, contest is to is to really think through how can you get the clinician to the patient? And that doesn't as strange as the sounds Though there's nothing that beats the physical touch of a physician. There's nothing that replaces your physical exam. There are great ways to take care of people that don't require an exam room. They don't require an office. They don't require a hospital. And understanding how to reckon with that, especially as all medical training takes place in the hospital, is really fascinating because you're starting to see the push outside of the hospital into homes and alternative ways of being um, with providers that it's very disorienting. Uh, and the temptation, I think, is to just bury your head in the sand, latch on to a hospital and just keep on doing your thing. But if you read a book like The Innovator's Dilemma or you keep up with the news, you can't help but wonder what in the world's about to happen. All right. And, and Clayton Christensen does not profess to be a prophet. He doesn't know what the future holds, but he does understand how innovation works. And Blake, based on Christensen's theory of disruptive innovation, what does the future hold specifically to healthcare and, and clinicians? I think it's a great question. I, I really like what Dr. Abraham was saying, and I think that we have to think about disruption over long time horizons. So one of the examples in the in the book he dives into is the innovations that happened with uh, excavators and digging industries. And sometimes it took 15, 19 years for a particular part of the excavator industry to disrupt itself and and get down to the ditch to the home digging apparatus. It, this stuff takes time. We're in a highly regulatory environment. We have to worry, work about, worry about regulations. 
We have to worry about um, reimbursement rates. We have to work, work with payers. There's a, a highly complex regulatory framework that will slow the path of innovation. But I think the future is clear. Care in the right bed at the right time in the right place. And I think as generations continue to get older, as our generation and the iPhone generation and the 1990s generation continues to get older and have families and get more care, they don't want to go sit in a waiting room. They want to have care on demand. They want to see a doctor when they want to, and they want to be able to be have their chronic disease monitored remotely. They want um, access. And so none of those things are going to change. The same type of experience we want from our iPhone, from Uber, from Amazon is going to be the same level of experience that patients are going to want from their physicians or doctors. What, what I think is really great what Dr. Abraham said is this will never replace the touch of a physician and see, putting your eyes on a patient is still going to be paramount as we move into the future. But how can we use all these technologies as a support and an extension of the physician of the hospital to get people in the right bed at the right time and get them the care that they need? Um, we, we're particularly aware of this in rural areas like in Mississippi. How can we, uh, we know that hospitals and the resources we have in some of these areas are shrinking? How can we use technology to reach those areas? I think there's a lot of answers there. And it's also um, so interesting to, uh, it, this has just started to register with me as you're saying that people talk about the physician shortage in America. That's like such a hot topic that there's not enough doctors per capita, but centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid services has an increased number of residency positions. So how are they going to address the shortage? So it's kind of an interesting paradox, right? So you would need to address a shortage if you were actually putting your hands on people and you needed people to be physically present. But what you're seeing is a disproportionate number of telehealth visits, which actually doesn't require, I can be in multiple places at one time via telehealth. I can only be in one physical hospital at a time. And so it, it'll be fascinating to see if there's almost a reversal of this. Um, I'm going to address the shortage by training more physical doctors as opposed to I'm going to change the payer model to allow the doctor to be in multiple places at one time because that's a lot that's a that's a much more efficient way and if I would add one more thing to kind of what I think that some listeners are probably thinking about is where's the value because um, I mean that's that's all the rage right now is high value healthcare. And so I think we need to give a working definition of what that is. And so the healthcare value equation historically, and I'm going to come back to something that Blake said just a minute ago, historically, value equals quality plus service divided by cost. So there's some people that think that this telehealth is high value care because you don't really compromise quality all that much. The service is really good because the patients can stay at their house and the cost is really low because it's cheap. I can, it's a lot cheaper to have a telehealth visit. So it's like, ah, that's value. But what Blake said that I'm a big, that I'm a big believer of is there's a new coefficient in that equation, I think, and that's appropriateness. So really it's value equals quality plus service divided by cost times appropriateness and the appropriateness is the right patient in the right place at the right time so it's not valuable to have a really sick patient being seen via telehealth that patient needs to go to the hospital in the same way it's not valuable for a patient who needs a covid test 
to go to the emergency department. That doesn't make any sense. And so I think right now is what we're seeing as telehealth is becoming all the rage. I think that we're starting to parse through how we really define value, both for payers, patients, and for hospital partners. Um, and without that appropriateness equation, I think that 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 you're going to see emergency departments full of people trying to get a COVID test, and you're going to see really sick people trying to see their primary care doctor via telehealth. And I think that we're kind of confusing who needs to be seen with what modality. This is a, a fascinating discussion. There's there's changes, but there's some things are not changing. The patients are going to want to be touched by physicians, but the new generation has different expectations. They don't want to be waiting in the ER. Um, with all these moving parts, how should clinicians anticipate the change, respond well to them? Dr. Abraham, how should a clinician be informed about the changes in healthcare? Hang out with people like Blake? <laughs> um, no, but I mean, but I mean, like, uh, I think we've got to understand that maybe the answer to fixing the healthcare problem doesn't really happen in medical schools, and maybe it actually doesn't happen in academic medical centers. And maybe it actually there are some uh, business and technology um, aspects that are going to materially impact the way we take care of people. And you can bury your head in the sand and act like that that is like blasphemy and is not um, not the medicine that I signed up for. I think it's the future. Um, and so I think whether it's picking up Clayton Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma or whether it's um, reading some sort of... Uh, business journal online where you can get something in your email in basket to read once a day. I think understanding how his, you know, big players that have a lot of cultural, political, um, and kind of capital power are stepping into the healthcare space and are disrupting what's happening. Uh, because I think that it is a, almost a, a small little light that's being shined on in the future. I don't know what you'd say, Blake, because yeah. I mean, you have a brother that's a physician. Yeah, I have a brother who's a clinician. We talk about this stuff all the time. And um, I think being, in a, being open to learning, I think having a, an attitude and a disposition to learning, I think for the clinicians that are listening to this, to anybody in the healthcare industry, you're probably in the healthcare industry because you are a consistent and ongoing learner. Apply that to technology. Apply that to innovation. Read publications like MedCity News and TechCrunch and go to CMS's website for their innovation uh, models. They've deployed 50 different innovative innovation models over the last 10 years, and they've charted a new strategic plan looking at accountable care organizations and health equity and technology and system transformation over the next decade. They're publishing studies, case studies, how things are working. And so it's just being in this constant state of learning that I think really helps. And then being and surrounding yourselves with a community. I think we want to be around people who are challenging us and giving us new ideas. And so surround yourselves with people in the industry that you respect, that are learning and continue to learn. I think that's a way that you can harness this and see kind of where things are going. Uh, I think it's really exciting, but it comes with an attitude of learning. Okay. So practically, Dr. Abraham, what is your habit of learning? Yeah. Um, daily and nightly. I think it's kind of a different, 
Um, I, I mean, I'll tip my hand in my worldview a little bit. I think that kind of the morning time for me is more um, devotional and reflection and personal growth and um, understanding my story and how I can uh, be hopefully emulate my creator in a certain way. Um, and at nighttime, it's more um, what's going on in the world today. How is how is healthcare changing? What are some uh, cool stories about interesting companies that are doing thoughtful work? Um, and then trying to read, you know, I have a lot of, I have a big stack of books, uh, by my desk that I kind of thumb through a little bit at a time. So always be reading something that Dr. Johnson said that, uh, I, I forget who to attribute this to. Um, but you'll be the same person in 10 years as you are today, except for the people you meet in the books you read. Um, who said that? Yeah, I've heard Dr. Johnson say that. I, I just attribute it for- to Joe Johnson. I forgot um, who he got it from, but, but yeah. it's uh, but like I think that's true, um, and I think that you know can kind of help you stay cutting edge as to what the disruptors are in healthcare. Yeah, I think um, only thing I'd add to that is it can be this can be a very academic discussion. How do you apply this? So I think learning is one. I think Dr. Abraham's uh, encouragement on this is is really good. I'm thinking about the the person who might want to throw their hands up and be like healthcare is not what I signed up to be um I envisioned myself taking care of patients in this rural community and I spend 75% of my time doing charts or attending meetings this is not what I signed up for I think that when you when you think about how medicine's changing it can be easy to get burnt out or to get frustrated but there's some really exciting things and so it's one way to also think on your perspective and getting around people like dr abraham or other clinicians or people in your network to uh, be encouraged and see the good things that are happening uh, it's really exciting all the things that are happening where people are going to get better care more uh, evidence-based models for getting better and then we can get to people who historically didn't have access to a hospital or didn't have access to healthcare. There's some really exciting things about where healthcare is going. It doesn't have to always be negative. And it's important to kind of on that same point, I think it's important for clinicians and I have to remind myself of this too, that technology and healthcare is not synonymous with the medical record. And I think oftentimes we think about technology and healthcare and that just means more work for me. Uh, but I think that one of the, I think a redeeming way to look at technology is actually to apply it to say, how many more patients could I be able to see? Um, how many more lives could I actually be able to impact? How many, how many more communities could I actually do a little bit of good in if I had the technology that allowed me to be there, maybe when I'm not physically present? The two strategies I hear is have a, a consistent habit of reading, but then also surround yourself with people who are interested in the trends, interested in the changes within the industry. That that's helpful. I want to come back now to telehealth as a disruptor. Uh, Blake, how is telehealth disrupting the industry? It's a great question. When you think about this paradigm of sustaining innovation versus disruptive innovation, there's certainly lots of sustaining innovation that's happening every day in hospitals and practices at the local level. But we're asking this question, what can fundamentally change the way that we 
do patient care? What can fundamentally change our practice models? One of the publications that I like to follow is uh, a publication called CB Insights. They released just a few months ago their uh, 150 top digital health startups that are transforming healthcare. And they have a list of uh, from the digital front door to digital therapeutics to clinical trials technology to virtual care to computer-aided imaging across the spectrum that are really taking new approaches that could disrupt this whole industry. And I think one of the key things you're seeing across every one of these is technology. Technology enabling better patient care and end goals. Technology is an enabler and telehealth is an enabler for better patient care. So we're seeing so many applications for telehealth across the spectrum that are really disruptive. I think you also don't know where these things are actually going to go. That's one of the natures of what Christensen talks about in his book is that you don't always know the market it's going to go to when you start doing it. When Relias Healthcare started its telehealth venture two years ago, we had no idea that the majority of our care visits in using telehealth would end up in the hospitalist medicine side, not the emergency medicine side. And so in a lot of ways, you have for disruptive technologies, you have to start using it, get it out in the market, get feedback, keep working through, and then you realize new markets and new applications that you never would have seen. One of the things that we're seeing in telehealth is its wide application, not only in uh, consumer, just going direct to consumer, but how it might can help academic centers, how it might help patient logistics centers, how it might help get the right person in the right bed at the right time, and how can you create collisions between clinicians who are tired of spending an 30 minutes on a shift with, with their phone to their ear trying to f- do a consult or do something, and now they can get on a screen with somebody and make an interaction. There's so many applications that I think are just disruptive to some of the pain points that clinicians and administrators feel on a daily basis that telehealth can really solve. And for someone like Dr. Abraham, who spends a good bit of his day a lot of times uh, on the screen. I'd love to hear his point of view on how telehealth is kind of disrupting the industry. Yeah, but to, but to, but to go back to your, um, to your comment about the 150 companies, I think that for people that are listening, actually, you know, if you were to go pull up that list of companies and you look at all of them, all of them are trying to solve for one of the variables that I talked about earlier. They are trying to solve for quality. So how can I take technology to minimize mistakes and drive highly reliable results? Okay. Some are going for service, right? How can a patient have a better experience as they enter an emergency department? Or how can I actually see my therapist on my cell phone from my car or whatever? Others are going after cost. How can I deliver healthcare at the lowest cost possible for a rural community who's having a hard time having integrity in their revenue cycle? All of them are trying to do that. And exactly what Blake just said, that that appropriateness coefficient I think that that is going to be the major disruptor that is unifying to all of those things. And I actually think that if you were to weight it and how it would be weighted to the rest of the equation, I think it is the driver for all of that. Because if you miss that, there is no value, no matter how good the service is or how good the quality is or how low the cost is. Um, And so I think that that's really important. Um, I think that one of the things to kind of, um, this isn't what you asked, Blake, but I'm going to infer, is that um, 
you know, you think about the person who's historically, you know, people love to say telehealth, and that means different things to different people. Um, I like to tell people that are in medical school or in training that they actually do telehealth all the time because they're talking to patients on their phone. So this the, this whole idea of doing healthcare remotely actually hasn't changed at all. Um, and I think that the big fear that some people have is I will lose the patient interaction if I have a screen in front of me instead of the physical touch. And to be clear, nothing is going to trump the physical touch in the exam of a patient. And think about all the times that I'm actually using my telephone and not seeing somebody. But with telehealth, I can look them in the eye. It's actually really interesting. You can actually see what's on their bedside table. You can see if their house is clean or dirty. You can hear the dog in the background. Or you can hear the crying grandchild that maybe you didn't realize that they're actually keeping their grandkid at home. And they never would have told me that because they didn't want to talk about their child who's fallen on really hard times. Um, and so there's a lot of depth to that interaction that you can that you can add with technology. That again, we're not asking it to replace the interaction that you can kind of intimately have in an exam room with a clinician. Um, and we're not minimizing the impact of physical touch, but there is a lot that we've missed that the gap can be filled to some extent with the technology that's present. And the less resistant we are to that, I, I do think that patients stand to benefit and probably the well-being of clinicians stands to benefit too. Are you suggesting that telehealth can reduce burnout? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, I don't know that it's uh, that way. Um, for everyone, but I think there are certain aspects to it that would add longevity to a clinician's career. I think that people would be surprised at how many clinicians are resistant to telehealth because they're just inherently skeptical of technology. They couldn't explain to you why, but there's a lot of people, and I, you know, I'll confess that I was one at one point in time of, no, I just need to roll up my sleeves and move to rural America and go to work. And that's just not reality. It's a, I mean, that's a really kind of idealistic vision. It's almost Mayberry-esque, uh, but that just is not the world we live in anymore. And I think the technology, uh, you know, you can, you know, you can be at your house. You can, um, you're not, you're not as tied down to the physical space uh, that is the hospital. And I think if you can leverage that to actually be able to take care of more people that are more disadvantaged, that have less access, who couldn't see you otherwise, I think that could bring a lot of fulfillment to clinicians as well. And then if you think about some of the, the biggest things we've heard from our clinicians over the last few weeks, if not year and a half, is how other aspects of their job are impacted by things not in their control. So where telehealth can provide them an extension potentially to care for more people in their own way, we're seeing nursing shortages, hospital shortages, other things that are happening in resources that impact the way their ability, their ability to practice. And so how can we use telehealth or technologies like the ones we've mentioned to augment resource shortages that you see in the hospital for um, their well-being and their good? Here's an example. Dr. Abraham and I saw a demo of a technology solution just a few weeks ago that with an iPhone camera, it could take vitals of a patient. So imagine you're in a hospital and you're short nursing staff and that initial intake, triage, all those things that happen with a nurse. What if you could, they could sit in front of a screen and get all that stuff done through a camera? That is quick, could be reliable, and 
doesn't need a nurse. And now that nurse can be in the back helping discharge patients or helping with a really critically sick person responding to the code. So technology can be used to fill these gaps that we're talking about and then better help the clinician. So those are the types of things that we're looking to, to support, we're looking to, to learn about, and we think can be disruptive to the things that we're seeing today. And to be clear, that technology took 17 seconds and it measured my oxygen saturation, my heart rate, my blood pressure, and my respiratory rate, all by me staring at an iPhone camera for 17 seconds. And it was validated with real clinical tools sitting right there, and they were the exact same. That is disruptive. This, this really is fascinating, the rate of change within healthcare. Surely, healthcare always changes, but with COVID, how that has been accelerated is, uh, is uh, exceptional. Um, thank you, Dr. Abraham and Blake, for this conversation. We need to be people, we need to be clinicians who are reading, who are surrounding ourselves with people who are learning, embracing change. And perhaps this change will have good consequences to, you know, well-being, uh, may reduce burnout, and that's uh, surely attractive. But this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I want to thank our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you liked it, please share it with a friend. Also, give us a five-star review. Um, and uh, we want to thank you for this. Anytime you have an idea for a new episode, just reach out to me and suggest it. Uh, until next time, be well. Be well.